By all accounts, Steve McNair, the Titans' famed quarterback, was a gifted leader. Uh, He led the Titans to the playoffs four times and eventually to Super Bowl 34. He was loved by his teammates, fans, media, and in Nashville, he was a local hero. But off the field, Steve McNair's life gradually unraveled. He was arrested for a DUI and illegal gun possession in 2003. Four years later, in 2007, he was again arrested for a DUI along with his brother-in-law. He was traded to the Baltimore Ravens in 2005 and then retired in April of 2008 at the age of 35. Sadly, just one year later, he was found dead in a rented condominium in Nashville, along with his 20 year old mistress. Eventually, the police department, the police determined that McNair's girlfriend had shot him in his sleep and then killed herself. Their deaths were ruled a murder suicide. Now, Michael Hyatt, the author of this particular article, continues by saying, I don't recount this tragic story to judge Steve McNair. We're all sinners. In the words of John Bradford, but for the grace of God, go I. But McNair's tale or story is a cautionary tale. It's a reminder that all of us are only one stupid decision away from destroying our lives and our legacy. He says it is sobering, isn't it? I doubt that McNair woke up one morning and thought, you know, I think I'll have an affair with a woman nearly half my age. It'll be fun for a few months, but then she'll kill me, then herself. My wife and my four sons will spend the rest of their lives trying to forgive me. No, we never have that kind of clarity at the beginning. Instead, we make some small decision. Perhaps for McNair, it was simply a choice to flirt with an attractive waitress at a restaurant he frequented. And then it snowballed from there. One bad decision became two. Two became three, and eventually it cascaded to a violent, unexpected end. Twenty years from now, his family and friends will still be trying to get over his untimely and unseemly death. And Hyatt concluded his article by saying this. As humans, we have the privilege of determining our legacy. We can decide how we want to be remembered. But this is not a single choice. It is a series of choices. It's never too late to change the course and make your life count. I want to ask you a question today, beloved. What will your legacy be? What will your legacy be? Perhaps a clearer question might be this one. What kind of decisions are you currently making? Because we understand that our decisions today determine our legacy tomorrow. And today we come to our final study in our series, Trumpets and Empty Pitchers, The Life of Gideon. And this morning we're going to bid Gideon farewell. His life comes to an end here in Judges chapter 8, and we're left with his legacy. And you know, today's Father's Day, and I can't think of a more appropriate subject to talk about and discuss than the subject of legacy. So look in your Bibles there at Judges chapter 8. And I'll begin reading at verse 32. The Bible says in Judges 8:32, Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age, 
and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father and Ophrah of the Abzerites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. Thus, the children of Israel did not remember the Lord, their God, who had delivered them from the hands of their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, as Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. Let's pray. Father, quiet our hearts now and remove hindrances, remove distractions. Help us to focus on your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take charge and. Speak through me, use me, and Lord, he would work and move in the hearts of each and every one. We thank you for what you'll do here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. These sobering verses concerning Gideon's last days and death remind us of two very important truths we all need to consider today. Number one, we're all going to to leave this world. We're all going to leave this world. Verse 32 says, now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age. Now, even the heroes die in the end. No one lives forever in these fleshly bodies that we have. And unless Christ comes in the rapture and and takes us out of this place first, we all have an appointment with death. Now, I don't say that this morning to be morbid. I don't say that to be negative. I don't say that to get you down. I simply say that because it is the truth. And because it is the truth, you need to be prepared for death. Hebrews 9.27 says, And is it appointed to men once to die, and after this the judgment. This life that we're living right now is not all that there is. There is an eternity waiting for you, beloved. And the Bible is very clear that you'll spend eternity in either one of two places, either in heaven with Jesus or in a horrible place called hell. Now, for the believer, for the Christian, for the one who knows Christ as Savior, whose sins are forgiven, death should hold no dread. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 9. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Listen, if I die in the next little while, I hope you'll be sad. Maybe some will be glad. I don't know. But I hope you'll be sad that that I'm no longer here to to laugh with you and to help you. But at the same time, don't be too sad. You know why? Because I'll be face to face with my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, if you die, we're going to be sad. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss your presence and your laugh and your voice and all that there is. But listen, if you know Jesus, it's going to be a mixed emotion for us. Because we're going to realize that you are at peace. You're at home with the Lord Jesus Christ. Death for the believer should hold no dread. And in case you're wondering, I'm not ready to go. I'm ready to go, but if he gives me more time, I'd love to see my boys grow up. I'd love to have more life. But listen, I'm ready. I'm ready if he calls. Are you ready today? You see, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus Savior, death is a most terrifying thing. And it ought to be. 
The Bible says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, these words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face, the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. But the things which are written in these books, the, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, beloved, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I just read for you your future. Startling, terrifying, horrifying to be cast into the lake of fire. We're all going to leave this world. Are you Ready? Have you repented of your sin and taken the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Are you certain today? Are you sure today? Is your destiny settled today? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Heaven is your home and that eternity is a glorious thing for you. If you're not sure. I plead with you today, friend, I beg you today as God is working on your heart and God, the Holy Spirit shows you your sin and your need of Christ. I plead with you to turn from your sin to Christ in faith. Simply call out, cry out to him and he'll save you, whoever you are, wherever you are today. You say, well, I've been here 50 years. I've been here 80 years. I've been here a year. I've been here my first time. It doesn't matter. Coming to church doesn't save you. Being a Baptist doesn't save you. Being baptized in water doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves. Now, I believe that Gideon had a relationship with God. I believe that he's in heaven today. In fact, he's one of the heroes of the faith. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11. You might be wondering, well, Gideon's in the Old Testament. How are Old Testament people saved? I mean, because at this point, we have to keep reading and we get to the New Testament when Jesus died. Well, listen, they were saved by faith, just like we are. They look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. They may not have understood everything we understand. They didn't have the completed word of God, but they were saved by faith. Abraham is an example, in case you're wondering. You can jot these verses down. Romans 4, 2 and 3. For for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now listen, for what does the scripture say? Listen, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The Old Testament saints were saved by faith. The New Testament saints were saved by faith. You and I are saved by faith. In the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. We cannot save ourselves. My heart breaks. I hope yours does as well. For those who are trying to work their way to heaven. Those who are out knocking on doors trying to do enough. Those who are trying to be good enough. Realizing they they still don't know. They have no hope. They hope. 
that they're doing enough. The Bible says, listen, you can't work your way into heaven. You must trust the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, have you done that? We're all going to leave this place. We're all going to leave this world. We have an appointment with death. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you sure? Gideon reminds us we're all going to leave this world, but he also reminds us we're all going to leave a legacy. We're all going to leave a legacy. Now, I want to get our terms defined so we know exactly what we're talking about this morning. If you look up legacy in the dictionary, in the noun form, it gives two definitions. Are you ready? Number one, a legacy is a bequest made in a will. It's money or property that you leave to somebody. In a will. That's a legacy. But the second definition says this. It's something from past. Something that is handed down or remains from a previous generation of time. Now, both definitions are true. All the stuff you're working for, all the stuff you're making payments on, all the stuff that you're laboring to have, all the stuff that you spend time dusting and cleaning and washing and insuring and moving and admiring and whatever else you do with it. You're leaving it all behind. Sure, they might stick a piece or two in your casket, but that's going in the ground. That's true. Someone else is going to enjoy it, sell it or trash it. Think about it. You were in Sunday school today. We were reminded of that. But the one we're thinking about this morning is definition two. Something that's handed down or remains from a previous generation of time. That which you leave behind. Not necessarily tangible things. Not necessarily things you can touch and handle. Perhaps these sentences will clarify what we're saying. He left his children a legacy of love and respect. The war left a legacy of pain and suffering. Her artistic legacy lives on through her children. You follow where I'm going, right? Leaving a legacy. Things that you maybe can't touch and handle and feel, but you leave them behind. And we look at Gideon's legacy today and we find that Gideon's legacy is somewhat mixed. On the one hand, he left a legacy of faith. His faith was weak at times, but he's a man who's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 32 to 34 says, what shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I mean, Gideon is a Hall of Faith member. He's a man who took an army of 300 and defeated an army of 135,000 through the strength and power of God because he allowed God to work in and through him. God uh, used Gideon in an awesome way. Gideon was a nobody for all intents and purposes, but he gave his life to God and God used him. And he leaves behind a legacy of faith. I trust as we've studied all these sermons and these lessons that you have been encouraged and strengthened in your own faith because Gideon leaves us a legacy of faith. As Gideon left the building, 
Those could look at his life and say, you know what? There was a man of faith. But I say his legacy was mixed because he also left behind on the other side a legacy of failure. A legacy of failure. In his personal life, we, we studied his lifestyle last week. It appears he became very, very carnal. Verse 24, then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings, Miss Plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw in his earrings from his plunder. Now, the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was one thousand seven hundred shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, besides the chains that were around their camels necks. Then Gideon made it to an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Drop down to verse twenty nine. Then Jerobel, that is Gideon, that's his nickname. The son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Then we read today's passage, verse 33. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal beareth their God. Gideon became very carnal. His family life was a mess. He had multiple wives and a concubine to boot. He had some real failures when it came to his morals and the message his life proclaimed. And while we cannot blame Gideon completely for what the nation did after he died, we do think that he had an influence upon how things did turn out. They, the people of Israel, were responsible for their actions. Yes, when Gideon's off the scene, they turned back to Baal-bareth. But I believe that Gideon's life and leadership no doubt played a part in what happened after he left the scene. And we know the nation turned from God. Look at verse 33 again. Look at the nation. And and I wish we had more cheerful things to talk about today. But look at verse 33. As soon as he was dead, the children of Israel played the harlot with the Baals, made Baal bareth their God. They did not remember the Lord their God. They forgot God. Look at verse 35. Nor do they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. They forgot God. They forgot Gideon. They forgot all these things, the nation. But then you look at his family for a moment. This is where our heart breaks as we read about Gideon. I want you to look at chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam. Now again, Jeroboam is Gideon, right? That's his nickname. Who's Abimelech? It's Gideon's son by that concubine, right? We just read up there about the concubine. Verse 31 in Shechem, bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Now, let's notice about Abimelech. Verse chapter nine, verse one. Then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers. So he goes to his mother's family, the concubine's family and spoke with them, with all the family of the house, with his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. 
And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Verse 5. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah. Now, who would that be? Whose house? Gideon's house, right? And killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerobel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerobel, that's Gideon's son, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all of Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now think about this. Look at his family. He had 70 sons. He had another son by this concubine. And this son of the concubine, Abimelech, a wicked man, goes and kills Gideon's son, 69 of them. One escaped. Drop down to verse 22. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the crime done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem, who uh, uh, aided him in the killing of his brothers. Now, drop down to verse 50. Verse 50 says, then Abimelech went to Thebes and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city. And all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Imagine these people are up in this tower and they're all trapped. And Abimelech comes he's going to burn the tower down. He's going to kill these people. Verse 53. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me. Lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God turned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Now I want to get your attention for a moment and tell you this. Gideon made poor decisions. No doubt. But two decisions in particular that he made had devastating consequences. Number one, setting up that ephod in verse 27. Israel resulted in idolatry. And they played the harlot with it. Setting up the ephod, the second devastating decision was having sexual relations with that concubine in Shechem. Because as a result of that, it resulted in the birth of Abimelech. And of course, Abimelech would literally destroy Gideon's family. Literally. These decisions destroyed Gideon's family. Write this down. If you would. The decisions I make today help determine the legacy I leave tomorrow. 
The decisions I make today help determine the legacy I leave tomorrow. Remember the words about Steve McNair? He makes a poor decision. One bad decision became two. Two became three. And eventually it cascaded into a violent, unexpected end. And Michael Hyatt was right. He says we can decide how we want to be remembered. But it's not a single choice. It's a series of choices. And it's not too late to change the course and make your life count. Gideon didn't set out on that day when he went to that concubine and said, you know what? I'm going to have relations with this woman. And that's going to lead to the birth of a wicked, evil son. And that wicked, evil son of Abimelech is going to destroy my sons. He didn't know that. But his choices led to that. You see, Gideon's legacy was not what it should have been. Yes, it is a legacy of faith. But at the same time, it's a legacy of failure. The decisions I make today help determine the legacy I leave tomorrow. So I ask you, beloved, what will your legacy be? You say, well, I'm still here. Well, let me ask it in a way you understand it then. And comprehend it. What decisions are you making right now? You see, that's going to determine your legacy. I know, beloved, that we don't want to leave a legacy of failure. Let's leave a clear, resounding legacy of faith. A legacy of godliness. A legacy of holiness. A legacy of a person. Man or woman, boy or girl, who loved and followed Jesus Christ with all of their heart. You see, there'll come a day. As a pastor, I get to go through this with many families. A loved one passes away. And that family, and you, many of you have gone through this yourselves, they gather at somebody's home and food and it's brought in and people come and visit and the family sits around and begins to talk about the loved one that has died. I've learned a lot. I've had to do funerals for people I did not know. And I'll go and meet with the family and I'll ask them to tell me about your loved one. Tell me about them. And they begin to tell me about that person and I begin to learn what was important to that person and what that person spent their time on. and Really what the legacy of that person is. When our children and grandchildren gather and talk about the life we lived. I hope your desire is as mine that they could say we lived out what Paul said in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is when my family meets and when my friends gather, they can say that Rodney Clements was a man that loved and followed and served the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that if you're a Christian today, you want your family to do the very same thing. But it doesn't start when we die. It starts right now where we live and the choices we make. Listen, let's live with eternity in view, not the temporal present. Randy Alcorn 
helps us to keep things in perspective. He wrote this. Your life on earth is a dot. Get that picture in your mind. What's your dot? And he said from that dot extends a line that goes on for all eternity. So you got the dot. You got a line that goes on for all eternity. He says right now you're living in the dot. You're living in the dot. But what are you living for? Are you living for the dot? Or are you living for the line? Are you living for earth or for heaven? Are you living for the short today or the long tomorrow? Let me give you a little exercise. It'll give you some perspective if you want to do this sometime. Go out to our cemetery. And go read the dates. The birth, the death year. And then while you're doing that, I want you to focus on that dash in the middle. You know what that dash represents? That person's life. Their earthly life. That dot. But that person is not gone. They're in eternity. And when your time comes, while you may leave this world, you will enter eternity. We're all going to leave this world one day and we're all going to leave a legacy. What's it going to be? The decisions I make today help determine the legacy I leave tomorrow. And as we close this message, how should we respond? Let me give you three quick things and we'll pray. Number one, make sure you're prepared for death. Make sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you know him today? If not, in the moment we're going to sing a song, we're going to invite you to come. And you're not coming to me. I can't save you. You're coming to the cross. You're coming to Christ. And you can cry out today and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. I don't want my sin. I want Jesus. And he'll save you. And you'll be prepared to enter eternity. Number two, make sure you're living for the line and not the dot. Make sure you're not just living for the day. You're living for tomorrow. Make sure you're living for the line, not the dot. You have an eternal mindset. And number three, make the right decisions today so you can leave the right kind of legacy tomorrow. Let me say and be heard very clearly before we pray. We can't do this on our own. We don't have to, believer. We do this as we submit to the Holy Spirit working in our life. As he molds us and shapes and informs us. To the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you submit yourself today. And say Father. I want to live for you. I want to leave a legacy of faith. And holiness and righteousness. I want to leave for my family. My children and grandchildren. A legacy. Of faith. Let's pray. Father. We love you and honor and adore you. We magnify you today. We thank you for Gideon and his life. We thank you that you recorded for us not only the victories, but also the failures. May we learn from them. May we be changed by examining them and then submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. I pray today, Father, if anybody here today does not know Jesus Christ, the Spirit would grip their heart during this invitation. They would come and allow someone to take a Bible and share clearly the gospel with them. I pray for others, Lord, who maybe need to have a realignment of their values and priorities today. They've been living for the dot. 
rather than the lying. I pray today they'll come and surrender that to you. Lord, we don't know how long we have left. You could come today in the rapture. Or we could take our last breath today and realize we're going to leave a legacy. Others are going to look at our life. They're going to know what was really important to us. Father, I desire as they would look at our life and see Jesus Christ. Work in this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 307 is our closing hymn. The altar is open. Just as I am without one plea. But that's my blood was shed for thee.